Dr. Beecham is married to Susan Reed Beecham, standing right beside him. She is from Greenwood, South Carolina, and she is the director of pharmacy, respiratory therapy, radiology, and laboratory services at Oklahoma Heart Hospital in Oklahoma City. They, I think she's smarter than him. I'm not sure, but I'm just thinking maybe there's a possibility of that. Uh, uh, they have two grown children. Uh, their daughter is Beth White. She practices law in Washington, D.C., so be in prayer for her. And uh, Douglas, uh, their son, is an anesthesiologist in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, Douglas and his wife, Kelly, have one daughter, Caroline. And I want you to welcome to the pulpit of the bridge, Dr. Doug Beecham. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Come on up. Thank you. Thank you very much. How many, uh, how many of you were here last night for the official dedication? Well, good, good. Glad you were here. And I, I had forgotten and didn't realize that the book was going to be up above me. Uh, we'd love for you to get it. I wrote these stories, actually, when I was pastoring the campus church at Emmanuel College, uh, the Franklin Springs Pentecostal Holiness Church. About 1990, I think, uh, just sort of hit me because I've, I've written most of my life. And I uh, just had an idea to write a Christmas story a children's story, actually, as my gift, Susan and my gift to the church, to say thank you. So I started reading these stories on Christmas uh, Sunday or during the Christmas Eve candlelight service and wrote them for a number of years. And for years, I've had people, my own family, even asking me, Daddy, when are you going to publish these stories? So I finally got around to doing them. And uh, the artwork is by Pentecostal Holiness missionaries in here. So uh, they're available out there. We take... Uh, uh, checks. Uh, uh, we actually have a little device for credit cards, a little square thing some of y'all know about. And the, uh, uh, we actually take U.S. cash. And, and I'll take euros for those. I mean, there's a lot of Air Force people in here, so I, I, I know what you do on that. And, uh, and speaking just very quickly, I want to say thank you for the wonderful music and the hospitality, the Spirit of the Lord that's here. Uh, this is my second time to be here, first time to be in this particular building for this weekend. And I rejoice with you in what God is doing. I, um, I, with so many of you connected to the military, our daughter is married to uh, Special Ops, uh, a wonderful man uh, up in the uh, U.S. Army. Uh, I was so blessed to serve uh, men and women uh, in the U.S. Armed Forces uh, in Georgia. And for those of you in the Air Force and, and the young lady, I don't know if she's in here now or not, the family, the young lady that played, wow, you were really, really good. And if they'll fly you back for our general conference, we'll work out something for you to play. And, uh, I mean, you were great. And the, uh, but I don't, I don't know, I, I, I don't know a lot about Air Force stuff. I did, used to go to London every year. We had, we had a, still have a connection of a Bible college in London. So for about nearly 15 years in a row, I'd go and teach in London and, and, and occasionally would take off. I think it's Lakenheath. Is that right? Some of you Air Force folks, yeah, Lake and Heath. Went up there one time, and I've played golf at Lake and Heath. That's my connection with the Air Force. So, anyway, but I am thrilled that Susan's with me. And um, I really, I just need to tell you, this is the most dedicated disciple of Jesus that I know. And we've been married 40 years, and she's really, isn't she? I mean, she's hot. You know, I just need to tell you that, you know. She really is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay later, but it's worth it, you know. Uh, and uh, the, uh, uh, but I, this, this is what, 
This is the popette of the Pentecostal Holiness Church, honey. It is a joy to be with you. I have one request of you at General Conference. Would you make a motion to move headquarters back here, and then we can just, just for this, this church could right be our, here. This yeah. could be our home church. I just you just feel so I feel so at home here, and you sense as soon as you walk into the building the presence of the Lord, and that is a testimony to you that you have so let the Lord become part of your lives that the moment you walk in, you, you feel his presence. And I thank you for that. We're entering a season that I love. I, I, I like all things bright and shiny. And we're coming into that season of the year where it's going to be lights and shiny things all over the place. And I, I love that. But it reminds me of a scripture that's in the Old Testament that has always intrigued me. And it involves women who have come out of slavery, and when they plundered Egypt, one of the things that these ladies got were brass mirrors. And you've got to, you know, I never really thought about it until I was studying the text, and these are women who had never really seen their reflection in anything except perhaps water. And all of a sudden, they have in their possession brass mirrors. And for the first time for many of them, they're looking at themselves and they're seeing their own reflection. Now, when it came time to build the, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it says that these women gave those brass mirrors so that they could be melted down and become part of a large basin where they, that contained water that the priests used to cleanse themselves. And they had to cleanse themselves so that the sacrifices could be um, approved by God and accepted. And in doing that, they are part of the cleansing and the healing of a nation. Now, it would have been really easy for those ladies to have taken those mirrors and become so enthralled with themselves that they wouldn't want to give that up. But they don't. They give those mirrors willingly, and it's used then for the cleansing and the healing of the nation. Now, if you fast forward to the New Testament, it tells us that we are the reflection of his radiance, which means now we're the mirrors. And it becomes so easy again for us to become so enthralled with ourselves that we're just concerned about our own reflections. But if we will lift our heads and see his reflection, let's see his glory, his glory will reflect off of us. And then the word becomes to us not mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, but mirror, mirror, oh so bright, tell me how can I find life? And with your just because cards and the way that you're reaching out to the community because of what they see of Jesus in you, the reflection that you give because you are his mirror, then the, your community and in this nation will be saved. And I bless you in that. Amen. I bless you in what you're doing in the way that you're reaching the community. Amen. So let's pray together. Father, you who are glorious above all, you who in your great mercy and grace allow us just to be reflections of you. Father, so shine in this area that these men and women, when they go forth, they will so reflect your glory that there will be people who will be just so wooed to them that they'll say, tell me, tell me what is so different. Where did you find that peace? Where did you find that joy? And in doing so, Father, this will be a church that will be lifted up that will be a to your testimony and a cleansing and the healing of this nation. And we thank you for it. Amen. 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 
Thank you, honey. Thank you, honey. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> You'll turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse 41. The reading is from the New King James Version of the Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 6 at verse 41. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Hear the word of the Lord. Now therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And then down at verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. And now, Lord, in these few moments before us, even as Susan turned our attention to the radiance of your glory and your invitation for us to wherever we are, to be men and women who reflect that glory, being transformed into your image from glory to glory, we pray that you will come. Let your fire fall down upon us. Come and consume the dross of the worldliness that attaches itself to us. Come and purify us as your people so that your name will be exalted in the earth. We pray, O oh Holy Spirit, that you will take my feeble effort to communicate and perform that miracle that only you can do of your word making us alive. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I, uh, when I received the invitation from your pastor to preach the dedication and to stay over on Sunday, I began working on the messages and realized I had two dedication sermons and didn't know what to do. And I finally, during this past week and praying about that, decided to preach the one I preached last night out of Revelation 5 and preached the second one this morning. So here's the second dedication sermon uh, for what God's doing here in this house. I was very blessed. I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia. My dad was a pastor in the Pentecostal Church. 
Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home, a godly home. Uh, my, my mom and dad uh, were tremendous role models in my life. They're both with the Lord now. But I, I remember so vividly growing up as a young boy in the 1950s in Norfolk, big Navy town at that time. And I, uh, I, I just remember how my parents intentionally put the Word of God into my heart. Now, I need to tell you, I didn't always receive it very well. Every morning at breakfast, we had to memorize Scripture. And Mama had even some other sayings uh, that, uh, that were uplifting that she wanted us to memorize. And I, can, I, I have to admit to you, I, I had a, a bit of a rebellious streak even when I was young. I'm, I'm sure no one else in here was like that. I, I don't know. How many of you have ever had a two-year-old or a three-year-old? Okay, you know, if you don't believe in original sin after that, you know. <laughs> And we have a three-year-old granddaughter that we'll see next week after, th- you know, during Thanksgiving. And she's wonderful, but she's fallen. We already know that. And, uh, the, uh, uh, and, and, and so, you know, it, I, I realized that Mama would each morning, she'd have us do these things. And, and, and I would, oh, I'd resist it. I'd say it, but my heart wasn't right. I can just tell you that right now. And, and then at night, uh, there'd be family devotions. And Mama was a musician. In fact, uh, uh, she, she taught uh, piano and violin, and so for the young lady who was up here, that had a very personal connection. And, the, uh, and Mama would, would have us at night, as, as young children, sing little songs, and, and I didn't particularly enjoy doing that either. And, but I, I realize now, as I've gotten older, all those things that got put into my mind found their way down into my spirit. And, and I found myself thinking this morning actually to encourage you. Some of you as parents, you're trying to have disciplined Christian life in your home and pray and teach your children Scripture, and your children are fighting you all the way, and you're wondering, is this worth it? I'm telling you, hang in there. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I don't care if the sorry little demons sit there like this. Do it anyway. Don't give up. You got a God-given responsibility to just beat the fool out of them if they don't get it. And I can probably get arrested for that, but you know, you know, and you know what I mean by that. And and the and the and don't give up on it. Don't let the the sorry little rascals beat you on this, because how many of you once in your life were sorry little rascals, right? Yeah, I, I think we can get a witness here for about 100% in here. Well, you know, you know and, and if, if you don't believe you were one, you are really deceived beyond measure. <laughs> but, but often these little songs come back uh, to me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Do you remember that refrain? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me. There's another one that uh, I think about a lot. 
I don't know if you've seen this one or not. The song actually dates to 1867. Now the day is over, night is drawing nigh, shadows of the evening bend across the sky. I always remember this, even when I would fight it as a kid. The next little verse was, grant to little children visions bright of thee. And growing up in a Navy town, this phrase really connected. Guard the sailors tossing on the deep blue sea. And then uh, the last verse always gave me hope for the future, even as a kid. When the morning wakens, then may I arise pure and fresh and sinless in thy holy eyes. Sorry, Mama, wish I'd have, wish I'd been better back then. Songs, Scripture. This text out of Second uh, Chronicles is the story of Solomon. Your pastor last night read the, the First Kings version of this account of the dedication of Solomon's t- the temple. And here in Second Chronicles, we have the same account, but certain things are elaborated on. And sometimes when you just read this, particularly the the poetry, the songs I read to you there at the end of chapter 6, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. And then down there in verse 3 of chapter 7, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. If you you just sort of read that and don't stop to think about it, you don't realize Solomon had a Doug Beecham flashback. He has a flashback to hearing his father, David, sing these songs to him because his daddy wrote those songs. So when the Holy Spirit brings these things to him as he's standing up and speaking and dedicating the house of the Lord, he's not just making stuff up. He didn't get a nice speech. Something's coming up out of his spirit Because he recognizes that he's not an accident. He recognizes that in spite of of sin and difficulties, God has been at work. Because God had a purpose for, for his daddy. God had a purpose for himself. God even had a purpose for his mama. And that somehow in the midst of everything that has happened, God's purposes have been accomplished and he commits himself to be a man in that season of his life who says oh lord i surrender everything to you you give me what i need to be the man of god for my generation and it's out of that the depth of that that this text comes alive to me Uh, because you know when you're reading the psalms you're actually reading the prayer book of jesus christ Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Lutheran martyr at the end of World War II. Bonhoeffer in his great little book, Life Together, which to me is still one of the best kind of insightful devotional books that one can read about what it means to to be 
together as Christian community in Christ. Bonhoeffer uses that phrase. He talks about the Psalter. The, the book of Psalms is what Jesus would use to read and to pray. If you want to pray the prayers of Jesus besides the Lord's Prayer, read the book of Psalms and pray the book of Psalms. You're praying exactly what Jesus prayed every single day. And there's this messianic quality about those Psalms that when you read them as if Jesus is praying them, you capture this sense of, of the Holy Spirit communicating out of David's life and the life of others in the Psalms into a richness of the life of Jesus. Now, there are a couple of things I want to draw to your attention uh, for us for these moments. One is this comment actually down in chapter, verse 3 of chapter 7, the shorter of the little songs, that the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. That verse, and actually verse 41, arise, O Lord, to your resting place, are taken, taken uh, directly from Psalm 132. So later today, go back and read Psalm 132. And think that Solomon now has heard his daddy sing about the goodness and the mercy of God. He has heard this, this, this incredibly gifted leader who had flaws in his life talk about God's mercy because he had experienced it firsthand. And Solomon is... is intimately connected to the reality of the goodness of God and the mercy of God. Now, let's, let's run this story for those of you who may, who may have forgotten some of the aspects of this story. Solomon's mama is Bathsheba. And David was originally not married to Bathsheba. Bathsheba was originally married to a very dedicated soldier named Uriah. And David's armies in the spring of the year have gone off to war. And David makes a critical mistake. He doesn't go with his army and be with them on the battlefield. He stays in Jerusalem and he is bored. Bored. I'm telling you, when you get, when you get spiritually and mentally bored, you're vulnerable to anything that the enemy will bring into your life. You are most vulnerable to temptation when you are bored. And, and David is, is sort of pacing across the veranda one day, looking out across the city. He had in his dream to build this temple, but he, he knows that it's not going to be a reality for him for a number of reasons. He's trying to figure out, how am I going to ultimately get this place done for the glory of God? And he's got all these thoughts going on in his head. He wants to see that battle won over in Ammon. And, and as he's looking out across, he, he looks down across a part of the city, and there on her own balcony taking a bath with no clothes on is this beautiful woman. And you know the rest of the story. He sends someone to bring her to, his, to the palace. Mutual seduction occurs. They thought they would get away with a one-night stand. She got pregnant. He decides that 
all kinds of ways to get her husband back, and maybe he'll lay with his wife, and they'll think it's his child. And him being a more honorable man than David, because his men are out on the battlefield, he comes home, and even though they get him drunk so that maybe he'll lay with her, he doesn't do that as well. He refuses to do that. And he goes back to the battlefield, and David, in a moment of desperation, thinking, I'm going to lose it all. MSNBC, Fox News, the blogs, everybody's going to know about my affair. And he makes plans for Uriah to be put on the front line, a retreat to be called without Uriah knowing about it, and Uriah to be killed in combat. Murder. And Solomon knows this story. You know, none of us come out of perfect backgrounds. I had wonderful godly parents, but they weren't perfect. They were redeemed by the grace of God just as much as you and I are. And, and the, the reality of what we have come from, whether we want to put a shiny veneer on it or whether we have to recognize the, the depth of the depravity or whatever it may be, you don't have to be defined by the facts of what happened. You can be defined by the truth of the mercy of the love of God. And so that's where out of all of this that Solomon as a boy growing up begins to hear his daddy, probably his mother, start to talk about God is good and his mercy endures forever. You see, once you discover how merciful God is, then you realize he is not going to give me what I deserve. I deserve death I deserve condemnation. I don't deserve anything. I, I, I don't deserve the accolades. I don't, I don't deserve even tomorrow. But God is merciful. And because he loves so much and because he is good, God gives me what I don't deserve. He gives me life and mercy. He gives that. He's done it for me. He's done it for you. You may be in here today and you came to church depressed and, and, and you lost that temptation battle again this week and you don't think you can overcome and you've got any future for you. I'm telling you, God is merciful today for you. And it's not because you're good. It's because God is good. Do you understand that? You know, I, uh, I think about this in terms of, uh, in terms of, of the reality of the goodness of God. Uh, we throw that word around loosely in our society. That, that, that's one of the nicer four-letter words, good. And, and, and we, we will say it and don't think anything about it. But the Bible doesn't use that word that way. In Hebrew, that the word good is the Hebrew word tov, T-O, soft B. And, and, and God uses it beginning in, in creation. You remember the book of Genesis? God makes things and says, that's good. At the end of it, when he's made it all, God looks at it and he says, this is tov miod. This is very good. 
And good is language that only belongs to God. It's ascribed to God. God is good. It's used to describe part of the character and the essence of who God is. That's why in the Gospels you have this engaging story where uh, a rich young ruler comes, comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit everlasting life? And Jesus replies back to him, why do you call me good? I mean, this is like a conversation sometimes we have with our spouses. I'm sure none of you have that kind of conversation. She says this, you answer there, and what? And, and, and I'm sure the rich young ruler was thinking, I didn't, I, I didn't ask you about goodness. I asked you what I do to get eternal life. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Now, why does Jesus do that? Did Jesus not hear him right? No. Jesus knew exactly what, he, what the young man had said. But the issue was, if you're going to get an answer from Jesus, you can't think of an answer from Jesus as being one more opinion on a smorgasbord of good ideas. That if Jesus is going to give you an answer and you call Jesus good, Jesus says, you've got to understand, only God is good. So if you call me good, then what you are doing is recognizing that I am the Word made flesh. I am God with you right here, right now, talking to you. And my opinion about everlasting life is the truth to the answer of your questions of your life. Are you going to take it or not? He had to root the young man into his identity before the answer could have meaning. It's out of this goodness of God that mercy flows. That's why you and I often get seduced into what I think is one of the great, great temptations of the enemy, and that's to make us think that we really do, we, we really do save ourselves by works. Can I, this is a church that's noted for its candor. So can I just tell you, there are certain issues in life I struggle with. Now, I'm not going to tell you most of them because it's none of your business, all right? <laughs> she knows them, and, she, and, and she's not going to tell you. So, you know, this, this is not an open trash can, all right? And, but, but one of the core issues I've discovered over the last number of years that, that I have to deal with in my life is to think I've got to get worthy enough to worship God. That if I, if I get angry at somebody during the week or, or there's some, some area of my life where there's a shortcoming, I, I, I struggle with, okay, God, how can I stand up on Sunday and preach to these people knowing what a sorry louse I am? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what it is because you come in here and, you, and you're asked to lift your hands and you think, how in the world can God entertain me knowing what kind of a louse I've been this week. And what the enemy wants us to do is to think that the issue is I've got to get good enough for God. The issue of goodness is my goodness. No, it's not. The issue of goodness is God's goodness. And he asks for a contrite heart. The sacrifices he wants are not more money. Now, now still tithe, all right? That, so don't, don't misunderstand me on this. 
but it's not you're going to give a whole bunch more money and somehow that suffices. It's your heart. It's your heart that comes in and says, Lord, I've failed you again. But, and and I, I, I wish I'd, I had done something for that person that you gave me an opportunity to do, and I didn't do it regardless. But, but Lord, now I come before you, and, and all I've got, Lord, to stand in front of you and call your name and lift my hands and worship you is, is just your mercy and your goodness. And the Father smiles at us and says, run to my arms. That's what I'm looking for. Run to my arms. I'm looking for that kind of a heart that says, that says that it's not a question of me getting good enough for you, God. It's a question of your goodness coming and more and more your mercy transforming my life, shaping me, moving me from faith to faith, from strength to strength, from glory to glory. And, and, and that gets us out of the trap of religion. The trap of religion is I got to get good enough the hope and reality of Christianity is God is good enough. And this is what Solomon has captured. He's understood it because he knows about his mama and daddy. This wasn't a private secret. Everybody found out even before Twitter. <laughs> they knew and here's a young man who instead of living with that condemnation that, that led to his birth, that, uh, uh, later, the first child died, as you know. He then is conceived later. But instead of letting that define his life, he lets the goodness of God define his life. Now, that leads me to the other side of what he talked about. And that's at the end of chapter 6. He talks about arise, O God. He heard his daddy sing about God arising. Thirteen different times in the Psalms, his daddy would write songs, poetry, and would sing, God, you arise. Thirteen different times. That meant that David in spite of his flaws, David understood something about the power of the God that he served, his power to come into any situation and to rise above it and establish the reality of his righteousness. And one of those key places is in Psalm 68, and it's the one I want to go to to sort of close this message with you today. In Psalm 68, David begins to cry out, and no doubt Solomon understands it as well. And David has cried out, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. This is a man who knows all too well who and what his enemies are. But my enemies don't define me. Let God arise and God will scatter the enemies that want to destroy my life. God will remove them. God will conquer them. God will set me free. And it's out of that reality of God arising that two things come out of Psalm 68 that, that Solomon also understood. One was God puts the lonely, the solitary in families. You know, a church like this, which is reaching out so open to so many different people, there are people who come in here who are so lonely. 
You may, you and your spouse may come in here. You, you've got a transit community because of the military base. And, and, and people come in here and they try to make relationships and they miss being home and they miss, they miss these kinds of special relationships. And, and, and God takes lonely people and he brings them into a family. That's when God arises. He takes that enemy that wants to keep you in isolation. Do you get this? Satan wants to keep you isolated. Because if you're isolated, you only have your own voice to listen to. And most of the time, that can be a voice of condemnation and didn't measure up. But when God puts you in a family, you get the family of God saying to you, you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus loves you so much. I see gifts in you. I see value in you. I see there's a glory of God operating in your life. And you begin to hear another voice speaking to you, the voice of the Holy Spirit who lifts your life up and God brings you into a family so that God will arise in the midst of all of you. And at the end of that verse, it says, God takes those who are bound and he brings them into prosperity. When you are bound, you can't be released to give and to receive. But when you are released, you move into prosperity, not mainly by a receiving mode, but by the freedom for your life to give. See, that's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you're bound, you can't give because you're, you're so focused on your own inadequacy. But when you are free, you can give freely because of God's grace and love. And the second part, at the, at later in, sec, in Psalm 68, is this. It's a portion that's quoted, interestingly enough, by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. And it is a prophecy about Jesus. When David was singing this song, he prophesied about the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And it talks about the fact that 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 the messianic anointed one of God, that he would be the one who would come and he would take captivity captive and would give gifts to people. Paul picks that up and applies it in Ephesians chapter 4 to, the, to what came about in the death and resurrection of Jesus and in the ascension, the gifts that had been given to the body of Christ of apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and, 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 and pastors and teachers. And, and he, he says this, that Christ, when he ascended, and Paul in, then in Ephesians goes back and says, if he ascended, what else does it mean? But that he also descended into death. And when he went into death, he came out victorious and led captivity captive and gave gifts to his people. Now, this is the reality of God arising. Every time David talks about, Lord, arise, let your enemies be scattered, he is speaking prophetically of the resurrection of Jesus. Now watch this, and we'll bring it, we'll bring it to the end. 
We know that Jesus raised different people from the dead. You remember that? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Remember in Luke 7, he raises the widow's son at nine from the dead. These people were really dead, okay? They really did. And all those resurrections, those people had died, went down in the death. Jesus came, had the authority as the author of life to speak to them, call them up out of the grave in a literal and in a spiritual sense, and call them by name and then come back up. You get that? They went down in the death. They were not in a coma, okay? This is not some pre-medical mythology. People knew, they knew when they were dead. They knew Lazarus was dead four days. He stinks. If you're dead four days, you stink. And, and, and Jesus called them and they came right back up. But that's not what happened when Jesus went down into the grave. When Jesus went down into the grave, he went through death. You get this? Jesus didn't go down and come back up. Jesus went down into death. The Bible tells us that when he went down into death, that no decay attached itself to his body. Do you understand that? He wasn't embalmed the way people are embalmed today. They, they put some makeshift ointment on him as quickly as they could. The women came on that Sunday morning to put more ointment on him so he wouldn't stink up the gravesite. When they got there, they couldn't find him. He was gone. They thought he'd been stolen. They didn't understand. He had already overcome. He goes down in the death. All of hell wants to attach itself to the body of the sinless Son of God. But because he is holy, because he is sinless, death cannot attach itself to his dead body. He's, do you understand that? He's really dead, but he doesn't stink. He goes down in the death, and the book of Revelation says he went through death, and he took the keys of death and hell as he went through. That means he had authority as he came through death. And now watch the arising. He came up victorious on the other side of death. He arose. He arose. That's why when David is saying, arise, O God, let your enemies be scattered. Arise to your rest. That's resurrection prophecy because he knows Jesus, the Messiah, is going to conquer it all for you and me. Arise, O Lord. Arise in this house. Let your enemies be scattered. Arise in this place. Let your enemies be scattered for the goodness and the mercy of the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? Hallelujah. 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 Some of you in here, God has brought you here this day for you to know that God is creating a people who will live in such a way out of the reality of the goodness and mercy of God and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ of people who will begin to understand if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray I will come and I will heal their land and I will forgive them of their sins. That's the promise of God. 
that came to Solomon in the dream when all the festivities were over. God told him that based on the reality of the songs he received as a boy and the truth that came out of that. Now I'm telling you, I'm telling myself, the future of this nation, and I pray for our leaders. I pray every day for President Obama. I pray for our Congress, our courts. I pray for the governor in Oklahoma, as you should pray for your government here in North Carolina, for all your leaders here. That's a biblical mandate for us to do that. But our prayer is not that they will humble themselves. That's not what God said. God said if we, his people, will humble ourselves and pray and we order our lives in that glorious righteousness that has come by Jesus Christ arising, then God has promised for the sake of his name and his people, he will manifest his glory in our land. So this day, Lord, we lift our hands to you. We as your people humble ourselves, not out of fear, not out of, of, of expectations or disappointments about politics or anything of that nature, not out of how easy it is to, to give up on the unrighteousness of our society, but we humble ourselves before you because you are good, because your mercy endures forever, and because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let it begin in us. Let it begin in us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's praise God for the Word of God preached in this place today.